not afraid of the big bad wolf. A Good Omens multivoice podfic written by Sodia Masite and voiced by Sky Asimaru and Chap. Chapter 3 Sending a Spider to Catch a Fly. Aziraphale did his best, pelting out of the shop and desperately inhaling, trying to catch a glimpse or scent or anything. There was nothing and nothing and nothing. They had Crowley and he had nothing. Perhaps it would be considered shameful, but Aziraphale crumpled to his knees right there in the street and wept. They had taken Crowley. They had taken him, and there were too many of them, and only one of himself. And would they be so foolish as to take him back to the compound? What if they hurt Crowley? They were going to hurt his sweetheart. They were likely going to kill his sweetheart. Um, this might sting a bit. Most likely it will, actually. Aziraphale spasmed and gasped in pain, leaning away as a dark-haired young woman, wearing enough skirts for three people, removed her bracelet from where it had burned his wrist. A crowd had already gathered, several familiar faces calling his name as small people approached. A young man he did not know was standing next to him, a bit pale, but standing firm and tall enough to keep him from being crushed. The young woman patted his cheek, and Aziraphale looked up, almost perfectly balanced between profound discomfort about being touched so familiarly without even a bayou leaf, and the horror of Crowley's loss. Do you know that bit in the horror movies when something awful has just happened and the ghost or the monster has taken the love interest to their lair? She asked rhetorically with a thin smile. Then the heroes go to perform a thrilling rescue all on their own because no authorities would believe such a crazy story? She continued. Aziraphale blinked, and perhaps the distraught look on his face helped, because her know-it-all expression softened into something a bit more compassionate. We're not going to do that. We're calling the police, and only after we have every camera on this island on the lookout for the bastards are we going to go on our thrilling rescue, which means we're going to live through it. She stood and held out a hand for Aziraphale, and she cautiously took it and got to his feet. The young man cleared his throat and then called out into the crowd. <clears throat> Someone ring 999! There's been a kidnapping! The young lady smiled up at Aziraphale, and he tried to find an answering smile for her, although he doubted it, he succeeded. His wrist ached and re-rotated at once, trying to find something to say over the endless despairing mental loop of Crowley's limp body being dragged into oblivion. Sorry about the silver. 
I was pretty sure it was you, but I had to check. I'm here to help, I promise. Aziraphale blinked once. I never thought to test silver. He mumbled absently. The mysterious young lady and her gentleman companion, his neighbor John from the uh, adult goods shop next door, and a gathering of others all clustered around, and she found it comforting even in his despair while the sound of sirens slowly became audible. Although they were more than impressed and very attentive about the footage, the police detectives and such were more than a little surprised about the quality of the bookshop's security system. He inwardly blessed Crowley's paranoia, but Aziraphale told them about the value of some of the tomes in his private collection, and they didn't ask anything more about it. They made copies of the recorded incident, and after he had made tea for everyone, they set him down to collect a statement. The questions were all fairly predictable, and for the most part easy to answer almost entirely truthfully. Yes, he had seen the miscreants before, he is quite certain, and both of the individuals in the footage were among those who had injured him in the previous incident he was involved in recently. No, he did not believe that anything had been stolen from the shop. Yes, he believed that his, ah, uh, very dear gentleman friend had been taken due to their association and had not been targeted separately. No, he had no outstanding debts or legal trouble. He had been a business owner in good standing for decades in this neighborhood. Any of his neighbors would vouch for him. Yes, he believed that Crowley was in very dire, very immediate danger. It was all very clinical and professional until Aziraphale looked the constable straight in the eye. His name is Anthony J. Crowley. He's a lawyer, but please don't hold that against him too harshly. The officer huffed wryly. <laughs> but Aziraphale held his gaze, and the men seemed almost entranced, nodding slowly with crystallizing determination. Things got very busy after that, with new energy and picture-taking and uniforms all over his shop and questioning all of his neighbors. The constables had ushered them all out of the bookshop, claiming that the crime scene could not be contaminated further and that they would set trackers on the shop phone. The young man had introduced himself as one Newton Pulsifer and had very sensibly pulled them all to a nearby tea shop. Aziraphale liked him very much. He wasn't sure yet about the young lady, apparently named Anathema Device, who kept flipping through her notes assiduously and who had crisply claimed to be Aziraphale's niece to the nice officers. He's a rogue, but he is the light of my life. Aziraphale said quietly, once tea and biscuits had been obtained. Newton made an awkward patting motion near his hands, but didn't say anything. 
Aziraphale kept himself focused on his cup, thinking very hard about human things like porcelain and tea leaves. If he let himself indulge his emotions at all, he suspected that he might grow claws and run ravening through the countryside like a monster of folklore. So, tea, planning. Other useful human words like extraction and infiltration and perimeter defenses and contingency. He was a man of intelligence, not an animal baying for blood. Not yet. The moment Aziraphale felt he could, he took a breath and put his shoulders back. My dear girl, he began, feeling a bit foolish, but wanting at least one solid thing he could hang a hat on. Forgive me for clarifying, but are we actually related? I mean no offence, and if it was a simple ruse I understand, but you must also understand that I have an extremely large family, and I have not met all of my nieces and nephews. Miss Device waved her flattened palm in a teetering motion. I believe we are, but it's back a few generations. And I understand not being able to keep track of so many people. You're the youngest, right? Aziraphale blinked, then shook his head. Uh, uh, I have one younger sister, but nearly so, yes. Do I just have that look about me? Newton pushed over the sandwich tray meaningfully. Aziraphale and he shared a look of growing understanding, while Miss Device ruffled through her notes once more. Mm, well, I don't have the total numbers, and wow, that's a big family. But the important bit was that you have six older brothers and another half-dozen uncles, minimum. She rushed. Newton rescued Miss Device's teacup from her flying elbow, then replaced it once the danger had passed, with an affectionate familiarity that made Aziraphale's chest ache for his missing Crowley. He gathered himself and prayed for patience. My family tree is replete with branches, yes. May I ask how that is relevant? She finally found what she wanted and passed a small sheaf of papers over to him. He unfolded photocopies of old manuscripts with woodcut illustrations, a crude version of his own semi-complete family tree back a dozen generations, and several note cards in different sets of handwriting filled with references to even older books. It is relevant because your first transformation was a surprise to you. Aziraphale went very still, let his palm flat on the documents, and met her eyes steadily. Yes. You changed into a wolf the first full moon after your 49th birthday. Any other magically aligned entities in the area would have felt your coming. You are larger than any natural wolf, and as you gain comfort in your skin, you gain control over how well you wear it, and when you wear it. 
Didn't you wonder, since so many stories about becoming a werewolf are about being bitten by or born to one, or using an occult artifact, but none of those were true for you? Do you... do you know why? Because you are the seventh son of a seventh son of a bloodline that was descended from skinwalkers. And in seven times, seven years, you have never caused any human bloodshed. On the full moon after your birthday, you were granted a shape that would help you attain greatness. You have strength size, and enhanced gravitas. You could do anything with that, gain whatever you wanted, and no one could stop you. A hundred years ago, you could have been a warlord. But I asked around, and your neighbors love you, and your name means safety, so apparently you chose to be a protector instead. Something about the way she looked at him made him drop his eyes, and he fidgeted with a photocopy of an illuminated manuscript showing a pack of wolves running under the full moon, chasing armed warriors away from a cruelly drawn village. The strange lady's tone seemed almost admiring, as if she was proud of him. Really, he had barely done anything, and certainly nothing beyond what anyone else might have given the opportunity. Well, that... that does answer a few of my concerns, and I thank you for telling me. I don't suppose you have any thoughts on how that might help my Crowley. She did, indeed. The following few hours were the most frenetic that Aziraphale had experienced thus far in his life, and he dearly hoped that they would remain so. Given that everything was going to go perfectly, it had to. It just had to. He and Crowley would be able to laugh about all of this later. If... Crowley ever wanted to associate with him ever again, of course. The pawn shop and corner store were all they had time to visit before night fell. Crowley had been gone for approximately six hours. Just before they all left inside young Newton's strange automobile, Aziraphale had noticed Crowley's fancy little mobile between the cushions on a sofa where he usually napped. It must have been left behind when he had been kidnapped. He held it for a long moment, despite the urgency, and had a moment of perfectly balanced grief and fury. Crowley, in a gesture of trust that his casually angled shoulder and dismissive tone hadn't been able to cover, had informed Aziraphale that the PIN number for the fancy new security system and his own cellular telephone were the same. <laughs> Just in case, Angel, you never know. In what might be doom or salvation, Aziraphale reached into the deep, cold well of serene rage he had discovered within his own soul, 
and made one very specific phone call. It didn't take long. He said his goodbyes a few seconds before the little machine gave an apologetic low battery beep and powered down. He quietly set it on the table with a small pad before hefting the leather valise of newly purchased items and locking the bookshop door behind himself. If he survived the night, then Aziraphale would track down the little charger cord upon his return. Crowley. He just needed to make sure that Crowley was safe, by whatever means necessary. Aziraphale did hope that at least a few of his wild guesses were accurate, because if not, then his painful final moments will be consumed by despair over Crowley's fate, as well as those of his new allies. He has made so many guesses, only partially aided by the clairvoyant prophecies of one of he and Miss Device's mutual ancestors. It's a shot in the dark, even if luck is with them. For the first ten minutes or so, after they parked on the unlit road nearest the compound, Aziraphale dared to hope that it would be. Remembering all of Uriel's comments about needless overcomplication, his hurried afternoon shopping had included the same model of lock the commune had on the gate. Even with nervous hands, it had clicked right open for him. They had never changed the default combination. Animal simplicity or human laziness? Crowley would likely have had something clever to say about it, but Aziraphale was just grateful at the results. The triad of relieved exhalations behind him seemed to agree. Sergeant Shadwell, whose military background was as mysterious as his smoking habit was blatant, just huffed under his breath and held his enormous makeshift weapon not quite pointed at a zero affair. Shadwell had something to do with a kind of dubious, supernatural, paramilitary hunting group dedicated to scouring the earth of wickedness. From what Aziraphale had been able to discern from his nicotine-laced mumblings, wickedness was defined as anything not human, or even humans that looked dodgy. Charming. Aziraphale gave him a thin smile and opened the gate as quietly as possible. Newt vouched for Shadwell for some reason, and Aziraphale needed all the allies he could find. His companions weren't all who he would have chosen given any kind of choice, but since he had lacked that choice, they were more likely to prioritize rescuing a human over killing a werewolf, which made them good enough for the time being. Beside and behind Shadwell, the others did their best to walk quietly, and Aziraphale hit his winds. He had never known how loud human footsteps could be until he became a wolf.
they split up just within the gate after ruining the latch and hinges so that it wouldn't be able to be locked behind them. Newt and Shadwell went one direction, the younger carrying the awkward parcels and the elder chewing his unlit cigarette to shreds and pointing his weapon threateningly at the darkness. Miss Device accompanied him, and they approached one of the central building side doors. It was the only one that Aziraphale recalled had a basement, which seemed the logical place for a prisoner. It was also the main storage, kitchen and dining area, but with only four buildings in total within the fledgling lycanthropic fortress, it was necessary for everything to be multipurpose. The door was locked, because of course it was. Miss Device shoot him slightly upwind, then sprayed herself liberally with perfume. Aziraphale hit himself around the corner and barely resisted gagging, even at the distance. Then she knocked loudly on the door. When it was yanked open with an indrawn breath, there was a desperate coughing fit instead of the expected roar of attack. Miss Device drawled in her tawny American accent, twirling a curl around her finger and simpering about a flat tire. And could she use the phone, pretty please? Her cell didn't work in this weird country, and why didn't the tourist pamphlets explain? Aziraphale, launching out of the darkness, his scent overshadowed by Chanel number no. 5, was more of a mercy than anything, and Uriel, for Uriel it was, slammed unconscious to the ground in a matter of moments. He pulled out the hardware store zip ties and took care of immobilizing her, while Miss Device busied herself with the door handle. He straightened up and tucked on his book restoration white cotton gloves. He would need them after this point, as Miss Device worked quickly with her paintbrush, the utilitarian handle gleaming in the dim light as she finished smoothing on silver leaf from the arts and crafts section of Mr. Rajit's corner shop. Then they were inside, and everything progressed very quickly. Each door handle they passed got checked, then a whisper-thin sheet of silver was adhered. Ideally, this would go smoothly enough that Miss Device would be the one to touch them and get them back out, but Aziraphale's gloves would permit him to at least open the doors without agony if necessary. There was nothing in the basement. Aziraphale could smell Crowley very faintly, but they hurt him well before his scent was strong enough to follow. Aziraphale's shoulders sacked with relief. That tracker-thick charm was obvious, even if the words themselves were muffled. His snarky, persuasive, brave boy. There was a pained shout from one of the hallways they had treated, and after an exchanged glance, Aziraphale simply picked up Miss Device, skirts and all, and sprinted towards Crowley's voice. 
There was no time to spare, and they just had to hope that the men outside were doing their part. The pack leader sat Crowley tied to a chair in the cafeteria. He looked bruised and very tired, and there was an awful lump on his head, but he was grinning as if nothing was amiss, crooning compliments and very subtly moving his wrists against the ropes. Aziraphale loved him so much it hurt. <laughs> so I'm not sure how long you... Wolves, was it? Have had your eye on the bookshop, but the vermin laid claim to it yonks ago. I'm not sure why it's on your radar at all, but you really should be talking with my boss directly. This isn't necessary. Just business, right? Crowley wheedled. There was blood on his lip. Uh, did one of you grab my phone? I'll make the call right now. Aziraphale set Miss Device back on her feet as quietly as possible, and she ducked behind the corner, tapping madly at her phone with the thumb on one hand and pulling an enormous bread knife out of her back with the other. Aziraphale took a breath and stepped into the dining area proper so he was visible. Gabriel, the de facto pack leader, whom Aziraphale had tried to respect and admire, gave him a beaming grin and welcome, and Aziraphale was almost light-headed with the urge to commit murder. Well, if it isn't our errant wolf, finally come home. You took longer than I thought. <laughs> Still sore from last time? He boomed. It was entirely in character, but it still surprised Aziraphale somehow that he would so amiably discuss assault as if it was something he hadn't been responsible for. Michael was in the far corner, next to the rest of the pack adults, and the puppies were in a cluster as far away as possible. Gabriel's crony loomed next to Crowley. Crowley was staring at him in horror, then put his smile back on as if it was nailed to his face and cocked his head winsomely at his captors. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, this doesn't have to be a hostage situation. We're all reasonable here. There was no need to involve the bookshop proprietor. He barely knows me. Aziraphale barely recognized his own voice. Crowley, as unlikely as it may seem, this was actually about me, not you. I am so sorry. Gabriel clapped his hands together. Ha! Now you're getting it! He raised his voice with the well-practiced cadence that he gave all of his speeches. We all have to face the fact that we can't be understood or associate with outsiders. Even if they seem friendly, no one in the world will understand you like your fellow wolves. Even if you're stupid enough to try, like a Xerophel here, it won't end well. 
We're just too far above them, too close to our true natures, for it to end in anything other than them in shreds between your teeth. That isn't true at all! As you have here tried, but Gabriel were to face him, smile intact, but eyes cold. Shut up for once in your life, Aziraphale. This is all your fault. When he dies, know that it's your doing entirely. I've explained the plan a thousand times, but you just haven't seemed to understand the way things are going to be with the new order. Our great destiny. Well, one human is a fairly low price to pay for you to finally get it. He ended cheerfully. Aziraphale took a deep breath and absently marked the locations of all the wolves in the room and the scent traces of humanity from both Crowley and Mistyvice hidden in the hallway beyond. During the drive, Mistyvice had explained as many of their ancestors' prophecies as she understood, but the most important one had only been clear to Aziraphale. Choose thy face wisely, and all manner of things shall be well, O wolf. It was full night outside. The moon was a waxing crescent. It was nowhere close to fall. Aziraphale didn't need it to be. Crowley's eyes were huge, but he didn't scream, even as those around him did, when Aziraphale opened his mouth and gave the full-throated howl of a wolf on the hunt. In a few seconds he was a hulking mountain of white fur, with paws the size of dinner plates, his shoulders even with any biped in the room and quadruple the weight. He launched himself forward, and the hunt began. The absolute chaos within wasn't helped when the first of the pack managed to scrabble painfully at the silver door handles enough to escape outside. What had been a quiet darkness filled with lazy crickets and the occasional squeaking bat was a riot of cordite choking smoke and gorgeous sparkling lights and sparkling pinwheels. Young Newton's fireworks were everything he had promised. His mentor Shadwell was more of a pure arsonist, for the greater good, as he claimed, but Newton was a bit less inclined to light people on fire, but a huge fan of bonfire night. The sound of police sirens was already audible. Even closer were the tramp of sensible smooth-soled boots. Aziraphale recognized one of them through the smoke, the man that Crowley had called Hester, before turning to run back inside. The puppies were still in the corner, quivering. If Aziraphale had even a moment to spare, he would feel much worse for them, as everything they had ever known collapsed into madness. Miss Device was sawing at Crowley's ropes, chastising him for wriggling, as Aziraphale padded up towards them. 
Crowley froze, and Aziraphale stopped mid-step before settling flat on his belly, head laid down on his forepaws in as non-threatening a posture as he could manage. From outside there was a panicked shout, and Aziraphale's ears flickered towards Gabriel's voice. <coughs> Wolves! To me! The puppies, no doubt conditioned extremely well, jumped to their feet, but hesitated, and their blonde leader looked towards their little trio. Aziraphale gave a low, involuntary whine. These poor children! Crowley rubbed his wrists and tried to stand before staggering sideways. Aziraphale jumped, and Crowley stumbled into his ribs hard enough to force a small hoof from him. There was a pause, as even the noise from outside seemed to fade. Crowley cleared his throat, fingers sinking into white fur. Aziraphale? He whispered. Aziraphale whined again. He was so sorry that all of this was happening. He truly was. He let his ears back flat and began to rub his head against Crowley before remembering that the poor boy was probably injured. Think you can carry him? Miss Device broke in briskly. I should get to the car before anyone sees us, but he'll need medical attention. Just get him outside before the place gets torched. Aziraphale knelt in answer. Of course he could. If it meant taking care of everyone, he could do anything. Crowley's fingers knotted in his ruff, and Aziraphale stood easily, butting the flat of his head against Miss Device as she gave him a witch's confidence mark and ran off in a flurry of petticoats. He had only taken a few steps before he realized something, and he turned to check. The puppies had not run to Gabriel's call, but stood watching him. Something deep in her soft heart, underneath the muscle and fur and teeth, was unchanged, and he gave a low chirrup and gentle boof through his muscle. The puppies all exhaled, then, as one, they joined him, and they left together. Grouping them together near to the flashing lights of the police was relatively easy, especially moving as quickly as Aziraphale could. Leaving Crowley was harder, even as he helped the children clamp up onto Aziraphale's back in his place and smacked him on the rump in farewell. Having four on his back, even as young as they were, was taxing, but Aziraphale couldn't have complained for the world, the miles melting under his paws as he loped towards London. Honestly, calling Crowley's boss to let him know that a new gang calling themselves the Wolves had kidnapped his best lawyer, plus a suspected address from a fictitious ransom note, had been far easier than expected. Newton calling the police to investigate the fireworks at the compound and discover the criminals and kidnap victim had done the rest. Aziraphale could only hope that Crowley would find it in his heart to one day forgive him 
for everything that he was and was not. In the meantime, he had children to care for, who would need reassurance and dinner and personal documentation. Aziraphale ran faster and hoped that his best would be even close to enough. To be concluded in Chapter 4